0: What we're addressing as a broader issue is just that that same issue that we had identified at the very beginning, which is we're just not having these conversations um, in in our classrooms.
1: Welcome to the Modern Learners Podcast. I'm Will Richardson, co-founder of the Modern Learners Community and Change School, as well as an author, speaker, and parent of two amazing kids. Every week I do a deep dive into some of the challenging questions that face educators today, and I offer some practical steps for what you can do right now to make sure your students thrive in the complex, fast-changing future that they're going to live in. Now, this is the fourth and final podcast in our series on the theme of story, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to them as much as I've enjoyed recording them. As many of my guests have expressed, we are in between stories in education, and this is both a challenging and exciting time for us as we grapple with the barriers to change but also dream about the possibilities of what we might create together. Now, one aspect of the current story of schools that's especially important today revolves around our individual differences in terms of race, gender, sexual orientation, and everything else that makes us unique. It's important not only in the sense of how our school cultures embrace or reject our differences, but more significantly in how we build the capacity of teachers and students to talk about and embrace these differences. At a moment where research shows our public schools are more segregated and separate than ever, it may be the most important story that we need to revise. So to that end, my guests today are Winona Guo and Priya Volchi, the authors of an amazing new book titled, Tell Me Who You Are, Sharing Our Stories of Race, Culture, and Identity. It's a powerful anthology of individual stories that they collected during a year-long gap year trip across all 50 states that started right after their graduation from high school. They interviewed over 500 people asking them simply, tell me who you are. And let me just say, the stories are powerful. So in this podcast, we talk about their journey, about how race and difference plays out in schools across the country, and what we can do to bring those conversations more fully into the classroom. If you're like me, you'll be struck by the honesty of teachers who freely admitted a weakness around how to create and facilitate cultures of understanding and acceptance in their classrooms and schools. And Winona, now a sophomore at Harvard, and Priya, currently a sophomore at Princeton, are making it their life's work to help with that. So that conversation is coming up, but real fast, I want to remind you to check out our Modern Learners community if you haven't already done so. MLC now has over 1,300 members from around the world who are having powerful conversations and sharing their own next steps for creating classrooms where modern, engaged learning thrives. It's a respectful, safe space that's away from the noise of Twitter and Facebook, and it gives you a place to think and engage and learn at a deep level. So head on over to modernlearners.community to join us, and when you do, check out the podcast topic to get more resources around our conversation today. And at the end of my interview with Priya and Winona, I'll be back not only with three things that you can do right now to move your practice around classroom cultures forward, But I'm also going to give you a brief summary of an article that I think is a powerful next step for thinking about story as it plays out in our lives and in our schools. As always, if you like what you hear today, please head on over to iTunes and give us some love via a review and a rating, and I hope that you'll continue the conversation around story with us in the Modern Learners community. But for now, here's my conversation with Priya and Winona. Cheers, everyone, and thanks so much for listening. So thanks so much for taking the time today, you guys. I really do appreciate it. And I found the work that you've been doing and the, the journey that you took basically across the country to ask people about their stories, about race and about culture, it, really fascinating and extremely powerful. I was just wondering if maybe we could start with you telling your story behind the book. How did you, how did you get started on this project? and uh, how did it uh, move from probably a very small idea to something that ended up being pretty pretty huge, I would imagine, right?
0: Right. Thank you so much for having both of us on the podcast. We're super excited. Um, This project started five years ago when we were both sophomores at Princeton Public High School in New Jersey, and we remember that year vividly because it was the first time we ever heard the word race Mentioned or discussed in our classroom. It was shortly after the death of Eric Garner Um, and for the two of us that was shocking because Clearly race had impacted both of our lives since birth. Our parents are immigrants from China and India Um, And we saw the ways in which it divided our communities from our neighborhoods to our friend groups to our clubs to our classrooms Um, So for us to go through over a decade of public school education and private school education and not understand or learn about something so fundamental to who we were, that was shocking for the both of us and we wanted to do something about it.
2: I mean, it happens all the time, right? If you don't learn something in school, you're gonna l- look it up on the internet, social media, talk to people around you. So that's exactly what we did. We started tapping random people, strangers. We'd be like, <laughs> "Hey, we're, you know, two students. Um, do you want to tell us your most personal stories about race?" <laughs> well, we didn't and- say like that, but <laughs> eventually, you know, it was pretty remarkable that these complete strangers that we would tap randomly. Um, at first they'd be like oh i'm busy i have something to do and then as soon as they started talking we describe it in the book as being on the other end of a fire hose like there was just so much that people had to share and we'd end up speaking to them for hours about their most personal stories um, race culture identity intersectionality and we use social media to share them and then our teachers it was our teachers they came up to us um, we spoke at our own we speak at a, at a few Faculty meetings, but it wasn't until we spoke at our own high school faculty meeting that a few few of our own teachers came up to us the next day and they were like, "Raising awareness is great. We understand we need to talk about race, um, that people have stories we need to acknowledge, but we need more concrete steps on how do we actually have these conversations." There's um, an AP packed curriculum, you know. I have standards I have to meet, and so what are specific steps and tools? And that's that's when we really started thinking, how can we leverage these very powerful stories and create some kind of teacher toolkit, which is how the classroom index started. So
0: there are a few steps that we took in between there before we published this, te- this textbook, which mm-hmm. we kind of see as this trial run for the book that just came out, Tell Me Who You Are. But this textbook that we published in junior year of high school funded by Prince University's Department of African American Studies was the product of us doing a ton of surveys And Mm -hmm. conversations with various students and educators um, in and beyond our own school district. So like, for example, in the Princeton Public Schools District, we sent out a survey. Um, Our guidance counselor helped us send it out to all the teachers and from those we heard back from, I think 85% said, you know, we want to have these conversations in our classroom. We see how they can be made relevant, but we just don't know how to move forward right. and also there are all these reasons why it's a big challenge for example lack of time or i'm a white woman and i don't feel comfortable speaking to my own experience or centering my voice on this or um, you know this is really uncomfortable and i don't have administrative support on this um all these different reasons and so when we develop that textbook um our model of pairing these stories to statistics organized by tags that could match existing lesson plans mm-hmm. all of that Um, a model that later translated into this newer book, all of that was a response to um, the, the needs that our teachers and other students identified for these conversations about race.
2: Right, so we started off wanting to really impact Princeton Public Schools where we grew up, our own teachers, and then this textbook we got picked up by some national press and all of a sudden educators and students in almost all 50 states were getting our book and I mean like this is the one we made on free trials of InDesign right so we were like (laughs) so much better we wish we had more time to dedicate ourselves fully to this so we um, made the decision to take a gap year it took a while convincing our parents and raising the funds but we um, did it and a week after graduating high school we head off to our first state together Alaska and by the end of the year, we had traveled to all 50, interviewed 500 people, and those stories are in, in the um, new book.
1: So I can tell you guys aren't very enthusiastic about this work, right? And I'm really having to pull this story out of you. But I'm wondering if you were surprised by the reaction that teachers had, that they came to you and they said, we really don't know what to do. We really don't have any language or any practice around how to do that. Did that surprise you?
0: Um In part, some parts were surprising and some were not. One thing I remember was um, ever since I've been really young. I've always t- looked up to my teachers so, so, so much, you know, and seen them as these like God and goddess figures in my life who, who taught me, and I I still do. Um, but I think in, in sophomore year, when we were sending out all those surveys and we were identifying this gap that our teachers, in fact, hadn't been having these conversations that were so important to, to young people, both, both white kids and children of color growing up in the United States alike, um, I think... Um, the, the humility that um, we saw from our teachers who were, who were willing to um, give their time to work with us as students wanting to contribute to, to their work in these classrooms um, to face this really, really uncomfortable conversation. That was something surprising that um, what left me really in awe and with even more respect for my, for my teachers
2: and then on my end i went to middle school where we called our teachers by their first names and so i going walking into public school where that was definitely not the norm i quickly learned um it was really refreshing and great and like winona said i think made me respect my educators even more when um they came up to us and and shared that what we might have perceived as weaknesses, being students out here trying to write a textbook, they really saw as a strength, you know, a tool for students made by students considering our perspectives and our needs in the creation of of the book and the heart mind model um, that we developed. So
1: Were you surprised that so many people from across the country reached out to you so quickly once once word of, of that book got out?
2: of course
0: yeah we would i remember we got an email from uh, like a fifth grader in idaho who was like you know i've read (laughs) you read your book that you made in princeton new jersey and i'd love to see more stories reflective of my experience in rural idaho and we got an email from somebody um i think in the mississippi delta who was saying you know even Mm -hmm. if you're talking about race in princeton um Mm -hmm. you the the uh history of uh, slavery in the Deep South in the United States is indispensable in um, and all of that feedback that we got from both teachers and students alike across the country. Um, we were told, I mean, we were shocked that our, our book, again, that we had we had <laughs> made on in our basements was being used all across the country. I think a lot of that inspired us and equipped us with um, this vision to, to go across the country and really make a tool that could be used um, everywhere it was needed in the United States.
2: But it also, it also spoke to the um, direct need that we tried to address when creating it in the first place, right that there wasn't there wasn't a tool um, out there that existed already. So even though it was you know kind of scrabby made in our basements, that kind of thing, it was um, it was something in need.
1: And you would think that there would be something like that out there right that obviously race is such an important conversation and to think that maybe there weren't some, I don't know if curriculum is the right word or resources or strategies that people could use in their practice. I mean, that sounds almost surprising.
2: There are lots of great resources and great um, organizations, nonprofits working, some of them um, working towards developing curriculum. Some of them are um, facing history in ourselves, race forward. And we just felt like there wasn't anything that that addressed the specific gap that we saw with the heart-mind model that we created that hurt my model
0: that we talked about in our first TED Talk was um, this idea that we need stories um, for compassion in our hearts to like really fiercely and unapologetically care right beyond lip service. But we also need to place those stories in larger systematic context um, in order to show that they're not isolated incidents and Mm -hmm. understand the the systematic nature of of racial inequity. Um, Mm -hmm. So for the two of us, developing the textbook and the book centered around that model of pairing stories to statistics that we hadn't necessarily seen in other resources, though we have tremendous, tremendous respect for um, all the incredible tools out there.
1: Okay, so I have to ask this, right, but did you get a grade for this? No. no. (laughs) (laughs) I pretty much knew the answer to that question, right? This was something that you guys did on your own, and you just pursued something that you're really interested in, right?
0: yeah our parents didn't understand they were like focus (laughs) on your actual
2: grade they still don't understand it's (laughs) it's kind of five years later and they're like so when is this high school project ending (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's awesome that's great so you, you, started, you started talking a little bit about the systemic piece of that. So let me, let me try to tease that out a little bit in, in the context of schools. I mean, what do you think, what's your sense just based on your own experience of schools, but also with all the people who you talked to um, when you went on this year, year-long journey, what's your sense of the story of race in schools? What is the story that we like to tell, but maybe what is the real story that maybe we're not talking about when it comes to race in schools?
2: Part of what we were trying to address when we created our nonprofit our sophomore year was um, uh, quite a few things. And and they weren't just um, based off of our own personal experiences. They were both based on, like Winona said, these surveys and pilot sessions and feedback that we got from our educators directly and from students like ourselves and, and our peers. And that was, when you talk about race, usually it's in this kind of historical, um, expired mindset like racism happened during Jim Crow or slavery and now it's so much better. We started this um, project when Obama was president and we get a lot of you know Obama's president everything's good and so it was this mindset that so much racial progress has been made without understanding the the, um, the legacies of racial domination that are still very much prevalent today. And so we found that there was this um, lack of relevance, lack of um, immediacy that students were feeling. And in addition to that. If, if we did ever talk about race, it was always kind of these cold statistics thrown at us, um, the ne- maybe news clips we would watch in between um, classes or in between lessons, right? And so we realized that um, not only are people not feeling emotionally um, connected to the subject because of, of, of the kind of cold statistics nature in, in which it was being introduced, but also people were not um, realizing it's, modern day relevance, so to address that oh,
0: no, no. <laughs> we collected um, stories and statistics from all fifty states just within the past two years and put together that resource and that collection of, of over in the book alone, although we collected over five hundred in the book alone there 's um, uh, over a hundred stories that um, speak to the ways in which race shows up today and and divides, for example, our school communities, which we spoke in a, in a, interviewed in a school in the Mississippi Delta, Cleveland, Mississippi, that just integrated this past school year, right? And so to speak to this nature of race, as Priya was discussing, that is so immediate and urgent and Mm -hmm. ongoing is never a narrative that we had learned in school. And I think part of what we're addressing as a broader issue is just that, that same issue that we had identified at the very beginning, which is we're just not having these conversations um, in, our, in our classrooms. And so for the two of us, our vision for our nonprofit and for our world, our future generation is that racial literacy um, should be a fundamental 21st century life skill, right? Every American should be equipped with racial literacy. Um, Every leader in our future generations should be equipped with racial literacy. And for that to happen, we need racial literacy, racial and intersectional literacy to be taught in our schools today. And so our hope for the future is that we'll have required racial literacy curriculum in all K-12 schools.
2: To explain also further how the model that we specifically developed, and that's in Tell Me Who You Are, addresses that heart-mind gap, Um, the stories, seeing a face, in whether it's in your hometown or your state, throughout all 50 states, will hopefully spark compassion and, and share that sense of relevance and immediacy, and then the statistics that accompany every interview in the margins will show the larger historical and systematic framework that all of our interpersonal and internalized experiences
1: usually belong in. Hey, I want to take a quick break from our conversation to let you know about what I think is the most powerful professional learning destination for educators online, and that is our Modern Learners Community Plus. You know, at a time when change is accelerating, when social media is getting increasingly toxic, and when we're faced with big questions in education that demand serious answers, MLC Plus offers a safe, respectful, intelligent space on the web to help you make sense of what to do next. MLC Plus is about community. We're building a movement to change the experience of schooling for kids around the world to better prepare them for the world today. Our community builds our collective and individual capacity to do that. MLC Plus is about challenge. Our carefully selected links and theme-driven conversations are meant to push your thinking to get you to scrutinize your practice and to catalyze your journey to reimagine education and schooling. But most of all, MLC Plus is about learning. Through our diverse book studies, our live coaching sessions with the Modern Learners team, our constant conference, our special workshops and masterclasses, your learning doesn't have to stop. And since all of our interactions are archived for later viewing, it's your learning on your schedule. So if you're looking for more quality conversations with a global lens within a passionate community of educators, all in one respectful, easy to access time-saving space, I'm telling you it doesn't get any better than MLC+. Head on over to modernlearners.community right now, and let's change the story of education for the modern world together. And now, back to our conversation. So I mean you guys obviously and I mean you're not alone in in believing that story is a powerful powerful way of learning and obviously throughout history that's what we've done in you know just all sorts of cultures we tell stories as ways of of helping to teach kids things or to teach one another things I'm wondering what did you learn on your journey I mean, what were some of the things that you learned, not specifically about people, but just in general about how race plays out and the power of story in making race more uh, of, a, of a conversation that people can have?
0: I think part of thinking about uh, stories in our lives um, for the two of us was over the past two years, this realization that stories are all around us, right? These narratives that we create, whether it be the idea that um, light skin is more beautiful or um, the idea that um, blackness is a threat, um, these narratives, these stories that create all around us that that we either aren't recognizing or um, that we aren't prioritizing enough to talk about. And when we think about some of the stories that um, are common conversation among young people Um, though there are so many young people today who care so deeply about these issues who we deeply admire and respect in our experience in high school um, and beyond um, we find that there's a lot of sharing of what we've once heard termed ego stories that we talk about in our second. TED Talk. This idea that um, we like to share things about our resume or about our skills and our talents, all of which are are important, but that we don't touch on these really intimate and really really important parts of who we are, like um, our hopes and our dreams and our fears and the and the parts of our childhood, for example, that have really shaped who we are and what we care about today. And so when we were traveling around the country, I think something that we heard often from people who shared their Story with us um, as we just sat there doing nothing but just listening um and and responding ra- radically listening is, is how we once heard it called to to people share their stories. Um the, many of them would tell us, you know, like I've never nobody has ever prompted me to share this story before. Nobody has ever listened to my story, and so I didn't feel like it it mattered, right? And so I think part of what we hope um is a shift in our culture is that we will all be more inclined to to share these soul stories with each other, um, and for us to do that, I think requires um, a racial and intersectional literacy to understand ourselves better first.
1: Did you come across any schools or communities that were engaged in doing that on a regular basis, where they had a vehicle for, let's say, in a school or in a classroom, that there was a a value that was given to people sharing their stories about, around race and around their interactions with other people? Did you find anyone who was doing that on a regular basis or talking about that?
2: We definitely found a lot of educators, students who were pioneering these conversations themselves in the classroom and those stories are, are featured in, in Tell Me Who You Are, um, because they were hugely inspirational to us and we felt like could serve as a model for how other educators could replicate the direct steps that they're taking to have these conversations in their classroom using stories um, as like a key resource, right? And I think um, our book, right, Tell Me Who You Are is, often there's that danger of when teachers try to share stories and um, use that as as a resource, like we said before, to have these conversations, the one person of color in the classroom might be expected to speak on behalf of their entire race, right? So
1: um,
2: it's also not everybody's responsibility to share their story. Um, uh, One of our interviewees, um, Melina, her, her interviews and also in the book, she, she phrased it like this. She's a white woman. And when she's talking to her partner um, about the patriarchy, it's her gift to him because as a woman, she ex- ex- experiences a lot of misogyny. Um, but when she's talking about white supremacy to her husband, who's also white, it's her responsibility. The function of tell me who you are is that anybody's story is there available and um, ready to be shared. All of these people have given their permission to share their stories, right? And instead of focusing or targeting one student in the classroom, your the focus is shifted to the stories in the book. Um, and so we've noticed also a lot of educators using Tell Me Who You Are in that way, projecting the stories, um, reading from them so that it's not awkward for any one student or educator.
0: I think briefly, I think um, that's such an important point to, to make, Priya, um, that it requires um, a lot of unpaid emotional labor mm-hmm. um, for people of color often to be sharing these stories over and over again. And that's actually one of the reasons why we created the book in the first place, right? For an educator who Um, might not uh, want to speak uh, for students or pressure students in the room to speak on behalf of their own experiences or something like that. The the book that we um, hope will be useful to teachers is a really, we feel, rich collection of so many stories of c- people of completely different, intersectionally diverse identities that we hope can enrich people's understanding of who we are without I necessarily know. asking um, those people over and over again to, to reshare them.
2: So stories you can both resonate with. Um, people whose stories you can both resonate with and maybe people whose stories you might not have encountered otherwise.
1: So what changes in schools where we start talking about these stories and we start sharing these stories? I mean, what would have changed in, in your school if you had been talking about these on a regular basis? And I'm not throwing Princeton under the bus in any way. I mean, there, you know, lots of schools obviously are not having those conversations and not sharing those stories. So what, what would change, do you think?
2: Well, so, For one, thanks to the work of not only us, but many student activists and educators, guidance counselors, administrators, there's now, for example, in our, in Princeton public schools in the high school of racial literacy course, right? And and there's, it's just the beginning. It's an elective. Um, They draw from many resources, including the book, um, but many resources from the other organizations we mentioned, and it's a start. And I think what we've noticed change directly in our own local community and that we hope will um, carry out throughout the nation um, is this investment in racial literacy as a fundamental 21st century life skill. Um, just like the way that in the state of New Jersey, financial literacy is required, right? Thinking about how um, racial literacy is also something that's necessary and through in the future as a nonprofit, our goal would be legislative change, making that so. Um, Right now, we're also, we have an an educator fellowship and we're working fundamentally to create tools and resources around the book, specific lesson plans that will be available at the end of the school year, this coming school year, and we already have resources on our website, um, but just getting Educators, no matter what subject, no matter what grade, because kids starting at the ages of three to four show signs of prejudice and stereotyping. For that to um, yeah, for, for that to change. So, for educators to understand that um, there are ways to integrate conversations about race into your classroom and provide the direct steps, considering state standards, subject area standards, on how to do that um, until we get it um, as legislative change.
1: So what can you do now after listening to Priya and Winona tell their own powerful story? Well, I've got three suggestions for you and a bonus link. First, you need to get their book, Tell Me Who You Are. Their stories are amazing. And as they said in the interview, they're a great way that you can introduce these questions and conversations with students, other teachers, and parents. And don't forget their racial literacy guide as well. Both of those will be linked in the show notes in MLC. Second, think about writing your own story. Who are you? Where do you come from? What experiences affected your views on race and diversity? And you might share those stories with your students and colleagues. And third, think about how you might create your own Tell Me Who You Are anthology with your students. It's not a project to be taken lightly, of course, but as Priya and Winona said, the sooner we can get students engaged in these topics, the better. Finally, I want to take just a few moments to wrap up this story theme with a summary of a powerful article, titled Using Story to Change Systems by Ella Saltmarsh in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. If you're serious about doing some work on rewriting the story of learning in your school, this is as good a place as any to start. Briefly, Ella says that, quote, story has many different qualities that make it useful for the work of systems change. It's a direct route to our emotions and therefore important to decision-making. It creates meaning out of patterns, it coheres communities. It engenders empathy across difference. It enables the possible to feel probable in ways our rational minds can't comprehend. When it comes to changing the values, mindsets, rules, and goals of a system, story is foundational," End quote. She discusses three qualities of story and narrative that we can use to change systems. Story as light, as glue, and as web. And I want to gloss each of these briefly in terms of education. So let's start with story as light. According to Ella, story can, quote, light up paths of change, end quote. First, it can highlight the fault lines in a system and make visceral cases for change. One of my favorite stories is about Lawrenceville Prep, an independent school in New Jersey, who a few years ago decided to do an experiment on whether or not learning was sticking. They took a group of science kids who were juniors and when they came back as seniors, they sat them for the exact same final exam that they had taken in June of their junior year. When they took the test in June, they scored about an 87 average. Not too bad. But when they came back in September just a couple months later and took that exact same test, they got a 57. That tells a story of fault lines in the system. Second, Story as Light can illuminate outliers, and it can build a coherent narrative around their work. Every school has teachers who are blazing trails around self-directed personal learning. Get those teachers and students to tell those stories at faculty meetings and community gatherings. And finally, Ellis said Story can shine a light on visions of the future that change the way people act in the present So don't be afraid to bring together groups of parents, students, teachers, leaders, and others to imagine the possibilities for the school you want to be in the future and share those visions out. In terms of story is glue, she says that story can build community through empathy and coherence. I think the podcast you just listened to is a great example of how we can begin to use story to increase empathy for one another. And in terms of coherence, ask yourself how lived is the story of learning that you envision for your school? How clearly articulated is it? How aligned is it to your beliefs? How ubiquitously do members of your school community understand it and practice it? It's always a good idea to do a regular learning audit of this type to make sure that you have coherence in your mission and vision. Finally, Ellis says we can use story to reauthor the web of narratives we live in. First, she says, we can change the personal narratives that we have about our lives. To do that, we might examine the story we tell about ourselves and who we should be as teachers and leaders and ask if those roles are really suited for the modern world. We can also use story to change the cultural narratives that frame the issues we advocate for. Why not take a step back and ask yourself, what is the status quo in my school? Why does it exist? And what new story might we tell? And finally... Ella says that we can use story to change the mythic narratives that influence our worldview. While this one might be hard as it pulls us toward having existential conversations about school, we might ask ourselves, what is our reason for existence as schools and teachers, given how the modern world has reshaped the very reasons why schools exist? I'll add the link to the article in the podcast post in MLC, and I hope you check it out and think about the questions here. And I invite you to engage in a discussion around these ideas in MLC as well. That post will serve as the conversation starter, I hope. Next week, we start a four-part series on community and I kick it off with one of my favorite authors and thinkers, Peter Block. Here's a taste of Peter's inimitable wisdom. Modern schools are deeply individualistic. As soon as I get to school, I realize people I used to play with, I now compete with. And my number one goal in in this classroom is to get the teacher to like me. It means I can get a good grade and move on. And so community is the alternative to individualism. And it's the belief that I can't succeed without the success of my peers. Until then, I really hope you click over to modernlearners.community and keep this conversation going. Thanks so much for listening.